Hey, 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 welcome in to the Craig Houston podcast. Once again, I'm here for another topic conversation where I think it's going to help you in your transition and just things of how to operate when it comes to elevating your perspective when it comes to money. Alongside with me today is going to be Dr. Susan Nicholas, who's a four-time author, international speaker, and a TEDx performer as well as speaking engagements for you all day long. But we're going to get into a conversation deeply about podcasting about the elevation of money and her perspective of how you should look at money in your everyday common life. So welcome in Dr. Susan Nicholas. Thank you, Craig. Pleasure to be here. Glad to have you here. We, uh, we met up uh, recently. We had a, a great conversation on this topic and I really wanted to bring this to the audience because maybe this is somebody out there, listeners who need to hear the same message that I actually kind of agree with you on a lot of perspective of that people should probably take in their everyday life to kind of change and shape their relationship with money going forward. So tell the audience quite a little bit of just about yourself and how you got to this point. Sure. Craig, you may recall that I trained as a surgeon, a physician and a surgeon. And on my journey, I felt uh, that I had what I now describe as a, a hollowness or a soulful emptiness, that despite all my worldly accomplishments, I felt unfulfilled inside. And I didn't know what to make of that or how to correct it or course correct. And I thought really it was about the career choice that I perhaps chosen the wrong career. And I invested much of my time, uh, energy, money into becoming a physician and surgeon. And so changing or shifting, I didn't know how to do it. Uh, I didn't know what, what I could do next or even what I wanted to do next. And that was the time that I actually attempted to take my own life. And what came out of that experience was what I do now. Like I, I really began what I now describe as my spiritual awakening. It was very early days. I did not have language around it, but it helped me not just only to make career shifts, but internal vibrational shifts, uh, shifts in my perspectives and my way of being. And now I hope help others to do the same. And so that journey for me looked like uh, transitioning out of clinical medicine. I went to business school. I became a healthcare entrepreneur. And there I was again, after, you know, four or five years, uh, feeling that emptiness again, that I, what I was doing now as an entrepreneur, uh, I had become a mother. I had a two-year-old child at that point, still wasn't filling the void. Uh, I still felt that hollowness, if you will, of the soul. And I knew that if I went down this road again, I wouldn't make it this time. I, I just knew in the depth of my soul that I wouldn't make it. And I think what happened next, I can only describe as a gift. Um, I began traveling out of my body, having out of body experiences, uh, which led to me to really introspect on the whole of my life. And then I gained new perspectives, not just about me and what I was doing in life or what I wasn't doing or being, but on that of the entirety of existence. And that's what I'm here to share with you today. So the spiritual awakening, do you have a time frame for when um, this actually happened? I would say the beginnings of it was when I was still practicing medicine. So this is around the 2006, seven timeframe. And then five years later, 2012, I had the big one, if you if you want to call it that, right? Began leaving out of my body. So when that went, so how did that actually change your relationship from your perspective on money? Well, I'll just say this: when I was going through the spiritual awakening the second time and leaving out of my body, everything about how I looked at my life shifted. It was about my relationships, my um, occupation, if you will, my career. Um, just myself, um, how I looked at religion or, or, or other types of beliefs, even how I perceive time. But one thing that was very difficult for me to overcome was what I call the money construct. I still held a deep fear of not having enough, no matter what I accomplished or how much money I made. And this took me on the journey to healing what I call my money story. And perhaps that brings us here today. It does. It does bring us here today. And 
this to me when I first talked to you about it and I was listening to how you talked about I can hear many people having the same type of dialogue or, or relationship where they can't explain it definitively the way that you explain it. And it's one of those things where you don't even realize that you may be evolving to a certain point in time where your relationship with money in any way, whether it's just for investing, whether it's get through your day day to day expenses or whether it's just to say, you know, I just need this to do the things that I want to. People don't know those avenues where they want to go until they actually experience some type of I won't call it trauma, but I would call it more so like um, just an experience where they can't really explain how their life may have shifted around that. And you actually call it a spiritual awakening. And I think it's incredible that it's one of those things where it can it can transform your life if you're able to embrace it. Yeah. The way Absolutely. I, it is transformative. And I, when it comes to money, I would say this, Craig, most people don't realize that they're in a relationship with it. But every single living being is in a relationship with money. And if I break it down like this, money is a means of exchange. And so we're always transacting, if you will, on the planet, even if it's not about physical dollars and cents. We're always transacting. Even this, what we are doing today and with your viewers is a transaction. And so when we're giving and receiving, when we're exchanging services, knowledges, for even if it's likes or shares or whatever currency we're speaking about, we are in a relationship with this energy of money. And most of us, I believe, are in a dysfunctional relationship with it. Meaning that how they feel inside about money and what they want for money is very, very different. So, um, Let's talk about the dysfunction portion of it. So when you say a dysfunction, do you mean that they're, you know, they're they're chasing it for what they're like you may 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 even suggest in kind of an example is that basically we achieve we, we try to achieve that high paying salary figure and job uh, to actually take care of our needs and to like maybe like uh, according like I heard of your TED talk, putting the Mercedes in the garage, uh, buying the big house on the hill or things of that nature where we think that's defining who we are. And that's our relationship with money. But we don't really look at it that we just look like we we're chasing a carrot versus actually embracing some of the things that we really don't need in life when it comes down to it. Hmm. So that is certainly an aspect of this money journey. But really, I think, Craig, it's much deeper than those superficial things that we're always chasing after those dangling carrots that are what I call proxies of okay. our internal self-worth. We think that if I have the Mercedes Benz in the garage, the clothes, the designs, whatever, that I'm worthy, I'm worth something, I'm valuable, um, I have status. But I think what is driving that desire to have those things is a certain level of lack of innate self-worth. Mm. Um, believing that you have to have all of those things around you to be worthy, to be good enough in some way or to show that you're good enough in some way. So do you think that's more so uh, societal pressure or is that just what we uh, innately see from where we may? Because some of us may just feel like we may have came from poverty or we came from less mm -hmm. than what some other people may have had. and feel like that may be something as well, too, where it could just be economical and social and social societal pressures that comes on board of us at the same time too. What you say is true. This is what I call the money construct that we're born into families or born into communities or born into cultures, countries that have all of their values about money put upon us. But I think there's something more central and is that we uh, carry energy uh, from the past in our own DNA. So the way that I think about it is if I can inherit my grandmother's hair or my great uncle's toe or something, or my way of walking or speaking or laughing or something from generations back, can I not also inherit a belief system from the past? And this is where I believe where we come into generational poverty. I, I 
I was born into a cycle of generational poverty. And I did not know how to break it spiritually. I was chasing, 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 chasing to break it physically, like to move as far physically, geographically away. But in my soul, I was still uh, like deprived. Like I still carry the energy of it in me. And so it didn't matter how far away I got, how much I achieved within me, I still carried the energy of it, the energy of lack of scarcity and not enoughness. It didn't matter how much I earned. It never felt like it was enough. So when, uh, so was it a scary experience or was it just a, a eye-opening experience when you had your, your second spiritual awakening, the big one? I would say I didn't, I, I felt strangely at peace. Okay. I, I felt that, um, I, I felt that I was ready to go. The only tether I felt that I had to this life was that I had a two-year-old and I didn't want to orphan him or abandon him, if you will. Um, I wanted to, part of me wanted to stay around to be his mother. The other part of me was like, I'm out of here. You know, so it was like a internal conflict. But when it came down to leaving out, my expectation was that I was going to stay out and I wasn't going to come back. But here I am 10 years later into this awakening, doing the work that I do now. So walk me through the, the early stages after that big one. What did you decide to do next? Well, broadly speaking, I, as I was coming and going, I was gaining new perspectives. I was reevaluating my whole life, my whole, how I thought about things, how I behaved, how I was, what I believed. And I began the process, if you will, of dismantling all of that external stuff so I could get back to me, like the soul of me and be good with her or with it, whatever you want to call this energy, this essence of our being. I was very disconnected from myself. And I am, um, it, it kind of reminds me, Craig, about the idea of kind of like generational poverty. It's like part of it is an experience you're having. Like I'm experiencing lack versus am I lacking? Like, am I less than, or is this just an experience I'm having? And so I, I came to this idea that most of us are, ex many of us on this planet who have, were born into impoverished circumstances, we are not less than in our being. Like our essence of self is like astounding. You know, the power within us, if we knew it, we would be astounded. But because we came into a circumstance or a community or a situation, we embody that situation as our own. We think that, oh, then I'm not worth it, or I'm not worthy, or I'm less than, or I'm lacking, when it's it's a, it's the circumstances surrounding you. So how uh, so your path became helping others um, in this in this in the same search for what you have already found and experienced um, without the without getting into the, the major secret sauce of anything that you feel is necessary <laughs> anyway. How do um how do one actually get with you and actually go through that actual awakening? Well, the spiritual awakening is individual. Um, some people are have everybody has their own experience with that during their embodiment on earth, I believe. Some people will awaken, some people are awake as children. I wasn't, I got, I woke up when I was 40. And so I don't consider myself an any special person. But I do think each of us, when we are looking at our lives and we're seeing the disconnect and we're seeing that we're running programs and conditions all over. There's a lot of involuntary stuff that we're not even really processing and we're getting the same result and we don't like the way that our physical reality looks and we're wondering what's, what's causing that. Well, the big answer is you, uh, each of us creates our own reality. 
And so, I think resp taking responsibility for that is is the key. So I was going to say, like, because I, I, rem I remember how you started this. You, you say that um, time slows down. So is that a part of where you feel like we're all we're all like hamsters in a wheel race going <laughs> to figure out this type of uh, awakening portion of ourselves that where that energy comes mm. life slows down a little bit. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you for a mind bender. I'm, I'm, when you, <laughs> <laughs> I think time on the planet is slowed. Um, the third dimensional time construct it slows things down for us. When we awaken, there's an acceleration of time. You feel like there's an acceleration uh, because I think you're closer you're more closely in tuned with your higher self, like with, with your the expanse of your beingness. And so the third dimension, let me give you a, a, an example of this um, to, to help. When I would travel out of myself, I would, I would experience in my out of self um, activities and experiences that would in, on earth would take the expanse of an entire day. Like, all these all this stuff would happen then i would find myself back in my body and i'd look at the clock and it was like 208 in the morning and i was like I, I you know i feel like i was out doing you know out having all these types of experiences that in third dimension life would take the expanse of an entire day but it was just a few minutes that had passed and so that time distortion that jaunt had me contemplate the existence of time on the planet, and I call it the time construct. Uh, there, there are several prevailing constructs on the planet, but the four that I describe in my first book, The Duality of Being, are time, money, race, and religion. Mm, okay. There's a gender construct and other, other things that we think this is just how things are or how things go or how the world is, um, that when you break them down, you realize they're just beliefs that you've and you've you've embodied you've, you believed you just believe that stuff um it's not more than that even our financial system it's built on our belief it's consensus of belief on value absolutely yeah. and so we all start not believing in it then it all crumbles and the same thing like our new currencies for instance like bitcoin or all the cryptocurrencies those all of that stuff is is based on the belief in its value. That's it. It's it's that's how powerful our beliefs are. That it can create entire monetary systems or entire constructs, prevailing constructs on the planet. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah. I was not expecting you to say time speeds up. It does. It, it, <laughs> but I guess I could see that. Um, it would make sense um, because. Maybe that's how some people live longer, obviously, right? Because maybe they are their body is just not catching up to where they've already been in many places before time. So I could, I guess that would make kind of sense here. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could, you could absolutely be uh, about it. In the time construct, could actually move faster than we are in the third dimension um, that people speak of. But I can see the acceleration of it as well. So yeah, uh, let's so let's talk about okay. So now you, but at one point in time before, while all this, while you're on this journey, because you said it started in 2006 for the small one, spanned 2012. While you're on this journey, you actually um, had spent some time in Atlanta in an equities firm, correct? Yes, yes. <laughs> construct. Wait, when you leave that construct to where you're at now, how did that so much differ from where you're at currently? Hmm. So yes, uh, part of my journey was as I did work in the in the financial construct. I worked in a finance firm, and uh, <laughs> it's so funny now uh, that I think about this. But it there with the dichot the dichotomy is of the money construct and the self worth. I mean, I believe that very little, if any, credence is ever given to our true feelings, our beliefs the vibration within us, our frequency, when it comes to our financial situation. It's all about numbers and different types of 
strategies and um, uh, spreadsheets and whatnot, it, that's part of the money construct. But I think what, what's going on with us as human beings is that we are tying our self-worth to that, to that construct, to that money construct, that physical uh, calculation. When in fact, it's so much more. We are so much more than that. And one thing that um, I would say is a sharp departure from the work that I did in finance was, and I went to business school and studied equities, finance, and business school. But one thing that I would say is the hugest departure from that and what I do now in, in the money arena, you know, around money consciousness is it's it's a process of unfurling all of those antiquated belief systems that tell you you're not good enough or worthy enough in some way. It's separating your innate self-worth from your financial net worth. Mm. There it's it's related, but it's inseparate. It's like it they're connected, but they're not one and the same. So because I have hundred million dollars doesn't mean I'm like a better like um person you know like soul it doesn't it has it has rarely nothing to do with that what is most important is that how I feel about myself do I feel worthy within myself and it's not just about the money I talk about something called the continuum of wealth that's something that we don't recognize that when we're tapping into this energy of money, that we're tapping into a continuum of wealth that includes our connections, that includes our relationships, it's our collaborations, it's our ideas, it's our health, it's all of it. It's having autonomy over the resource that we call our time. It's the continuum of wealth that when we elevate our self-worth, when we become one and whole within ourselves, then we tap into the entire continuum. And it's not simply about getting the next dollar or chasing the next dollar. When I believe when you are unconscious, if you will, and just playing in the old money construct, it's all about chasing stuff, money, stuff, status. When you're Whole and you're on this inner journey of self-worth, then you attract what, what you resonate. Like, so I attract by who I am. I attract it to me. I don't need to go chasing after it. And so you, the idea is that you create your own reality by who you actually be. Yeah, it's about doing. Like, I can't just be on my couch, not doing any service to humanity, and I attract great things. But it's who, it's the, it's the vibration that I resonate. So I always say this, the language of the universe, like that formless substance of creation, that creative substance of the universe, of, of all of creation. It's a formless substance. The frequency of our feelings is the language of that universe that, that we can create from. We can create from that formless substance with our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions. But most of us are putting out toxic stuff and wondering why our life looks like shit. You know, the idea is, what am I putting out? Because that's what's going to show up or come back to me. And it's related to my self-worth and to our money story. It's, it's so it's so I want to, we're, we're going to discuss here in, in a minute money consciousness, because I really want you to define that for the audience. We're going to get there. Um, but one of the two is two things that I want to uh, ask and uh, to follow up is that basically um, in your experience with dealing with equities and dealing with the people who actually are, are who are mind bent and, and, and feel that's their only word, only, only reason Value. why to actually build more, more people, more wealth. That has to be a hard disconnect for people to, you know, to see someone in finance feel that way though. Right. Would that not be like something where they would be like, 
well, yeah, we want to be money conscious, but we really want to be, um, we really need to go after this, uh, after all this societal pressure that everyone desires in this world. So we can exist in the world the way that we want to exist as well too, right? Mm -hmm. So it's tied together, right? Because it's, it's kind of like having a lot of physical resources gives you what choices, right? I if I, if I have all this stuff, then I get to choose how I spend my time, what I what I eat, my relationships. I have I just have choices. I have got choices, but I think it's how we get to that. Like so, what? So I, I call them. Um, it's almost like this this divide between what I call external the external journey of validation, which is what most of us are on. We're about. Once I get this and get that, then I'll be good enough. I'll have enough. I'll be this or I'll be, you know, an influencer. Like once I get all this stuff. So that starts in school though, right? That starts. Yeah. Oh, I think it starts before you're born. Right. <laughs> but when we, we put when as, as parents or as your, you know, people who are raising other kids and things of that nature, yeah. going to school, you got to get good grades. You have to, you got to do the, the best work in school. You have to pay attention in school. You have to do all the the preparatory stuff, the all the extracurricular stuff. So that way that you can be someone in a community society where you can actually achieve bigger things. Then that leads you into school where you lead into debt. And then it just continues on to where it's like the job to where pay back the debt. So it's like, you're always chasing something. Yes. You're going to find till you find that inner self-worth that you speak of. Well, you are absolutely right. But I, I would say that other side of that journey is the self of internal validation. So imagine a world, Craig, where that's what we first went after. Your true self-expression, your true self-worth, your true abilities, your true desires. Um, if you ask most people what they really want to do, it's not what they're doing. It's not what they're doing to get money. It's like, oh, once I get this amount of money, then I'll do my passion project. Or maybe they don't marry the person that they really love because of money. Or whatever, whatever. Go to the school that they really want to because of money. Uh, and so there's a lot of uh, decisions that we make based on this hypothetical place that when we reach this level of financial success, then it'll elevate ourselves. Like, we'll be happy will be fulfilled, will be whole. But it's a lie, right? Because how many of us have gone through that only to come crashing down spiritually? Like what do we, we call it midlife crisis or, or, or whatever. Like just think of the, those meteoric rises to physical monetary wealth. I win the lottery, I get this big contract in the NBA, you name it, I, I have a hit song, a record, and I have all this money now, right? Or all this fame, you know? And then you see the same people bankrupt on drugs, mm. you know, doing all sorts of stuff because whatever had to happen on the inside for them to, I believe, hold that vibration of monetary wealth never occurred. They didn't do what I call the inner journey, that alchemist journey toward their own self-awareness. Yeah. So, okay. So we're, we're going to come back and talk about that too. Cause I want to, I want to make sure I get all the facts here for where we're going because we're, we're steering this, this ship somewhere. Right. And that is, let's go back to the relationship part, right? How is that's this someone who is, um, who's money conscious and has one of the, you know, has these constructs that you speak of they may experience life totally different than their relationship with their partner. Like how mm -hmm. does one navigate in your opinion? I know you're, you're not a uh, therapist or anything of that sort, right? But how does one in your opinion um, navigate that? Well, think about it this way. I think this is a way that we can approach this idea. Think about how you relate to a lover, like someone you actually love. And then think about how you relate to money. So mm. many of us, let me, let me just tell you what my journey was. I, I won't speak for other people. So when it came to money, I was always afraid. 
I was afraid of not having enough of it. When bills would come, I would avoid them. I wouldn't want to open them or see them. I, I literally on some level was afraid of a piece of paper, like what it said. When I would look at my bank account balance, I, I could literally fall into a depression, like a funk, if that level was too low for me. I would be afraid all the time. I mean, literally petrified of not having enough money or running out of money. Like I, I believe I could run out of money. Now, what if I, I projected that same behavior on my someone I love? I was always afraid of them. I was always afraid, you know, that they're not going to be there. I was needy and avoidant and depressed. What if that was how I behaved with another person? How would that other person, how, how would that relationship go? It would be shit. Like, it, it, like no one would want to stay with me. So if I'm behaving that way around my money, why would my money want to stay with me? Like it, okay, this is perhaps another layer of this. We have a physical body, but we also have what people call a spirit or soul or energy of us. Like it's a coexisting. Like without my spirit, this physical body doesn't survive. Now let's think about money. It has a physical form. It has paper and pressed metal. That's what we call our money. Sometimes it's just a digital expression on a screen. But that can elicit a, a response from us. Sometimes people will kill for this stuff, right? Kill others, kill themselves. So what I'm suggesting is that we have an emotional attachment to our money. That this thing, it holds a vibration. So if for if I feel a certain way about something, then it, it has a vibration. I, I, it has a, a resonance with me that affects me. And so can we say, I mean, can we come to this idea that energy is a form of, or money is a form of energy? Like, could we think that it, this physical thing has, a flow it has it responds it it has meaning for us that perhaps it too has its own unique energetic signal or resonance and that it can it responds to how we feel about it truly what we say about it how we you know handle it some people ball their money up and it's all a mess some people are you know, they'll iron their money. Some people hide it. Some people throw it away. That's all a vibration. That, that creates a vibrational resonance. Mm. So somebody that's tight and stingy with their money tend not to have a lot of it. Just It's kind of like this closed, if I'm like this, then how can I be open to receiving more? And it's an exchange, you know, it's really an exchange. It's about giving and receiving. I talk about, it's like breathing. Like I can't just breathe out and exhale and give, give, give. I've got to open and inhale too. It's, I, I've got to do both. It's like money, giving and receiving to be in harmony. So I can't hoard it and I can't throw it away. I gotta have a balance and a harmony with this resource, this powerful resource we call our money. So I asked you, uh, I asked you when we had first met each other, why would you not be a psychologist on Wall Street? And you mm -hmm. talked about how, you know, people would not be so receptive to the, the, the vision and the feelings that you have behind, you know, the personal finance and basically the energy of money situation. And just for the audience, tell, tell them why you feel that it's, it may be a, a time coming for that maybe more. Yeah it's just not here just yet well i think it's like anything i mean just think about all of the constructs that we're blowing away the gender construct the racial constructs all the i mean how since the beginning of time haven't we had racial shit happening on the planet haven't we had uh discrimination against different 
groups, women. But then there's a point when it, it comes to head and you're like, we can't behave like this anymore. I'll say this about the money construct. All the money in the world has not eliminated or relieved poverty. Mm. So there's got to be another way to go about this. And I believe it is consciously we have to go about this. There's so much money in the world. Why would any person be poor? Because people have, there's a consciousness about scarcity. People hoard money. People think that, you know, if I, if I give this or if I do this, then there's not enough to go around. Or it makes them believe something about themselves. Some people feel greedy. Some people think money's evil, dirty. They have all these types of beliefs surrounding it. Just like we have, we have and had beliefs around people that had brown skin or people that have ovaries or people that uh, have different genders or people that speak different languages or look different. We've, we, we've had all those beliefs too. And so I'm wondering if when, if we can realize that perhaps there's more than two genders, despite the rigid construct of the man and the woman, that people can feel differently inside of themselves. Perhaps there's more than the rigid uh, construct of money. Maybe there's something else that's running the show. Maybe there's, maybe our feelings, our truest feelings and beliefs about money play a role in how money shows up for us in our lives. Perhaps it's more of the responsibility of ourselves you know, like doing our inner work that ultimately transforms our money story. How, how much longer are we gonna rely on the governments or the financial systems? They have never served us, right? Perhaps there's a different way to come back and say, you know what, there's something to this thing. Maybe we can take a deeper look or have a new perspective. And I do think that it's, I, I don't believe we're at consensus belief. There's a, there's a tipping point, just like with all the things that we've overcome, there's a tipping point like a, where there's enough people that believe it, that it like, you know, just kind of like, you know, goes over the whole, yeah, there are going to be some outliers that are like, no way, I don't, you know, I don't buy it. But by and large, there's a consensus shift and belief on the planet. And we haven't yet gotten there with the resource that's our money. But it's coming. When I speak to financial advisors, people like you, when I, I do my money consciousness show every Wednesday on Clubhouse, more and more people are like waking up to the idea that there's something to this and maybe I need now to do look at myself, you know, do that inner work about my own self-worth and all the beliefs that I'm carrying the energy that I'm emanating within me and how is that influencing my life? Philosophers who have lived and died have all spoken about the idea, Einstein, you name it, Nietzsche, all Wagner, all of the great philosophers have spoken about this existential idea of we create our own lives. Not everybody will adopt that, no matter how many times it's been said, but at some point, People will get the I. It'll be enough of that. I would say that energy out in, into this the substrate of the universe that it becomes consensus belief that wait a second, I do. I am the director of my own show. The Craig Houston show is 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 created, written, directed by Craig. And the same thing goes for me. And that when I take when I own that. I take responsibility for what I'm creating. And so the idea is, yeah, I think at some point there'll be no other avenue but to wake up to this idea, to these ideas and say, maybe we should take a look at it and apply it in that financial equation. Maybe there's more than just your credit score and saving and doing the job and having the benefits. There's something more to securing your financial well-being by 
elevating your own self-worth by doing the inner work more than the chasing work. So, so you say, so basically you say there's a tipping point coming, um, but so it's people on Wall Street and it's people all across the world, obviously, especially on Clubhouse. Um, they're feeling this, this same vibe that you're, that you're providing today. And what, what is, what has been some of the characteristics that they've said has made them feel that they're at that point too, as well? Well, it's really a paradigm shift in awareness, a paradigm shift in consciousness. And I think there's a point for people just like there was for me when I looked at my life and I, and I couldn't stand it anymore. And sometimes I believe that we're, we're pushed to the brink where we cannot live like this anymore. And it's, we make the decision that either I'm out of here, I do, or something's different, like drastically different. People have a lot of health scares or different types of things in their life where they like kind of stop and smell the roses kind of thing. And every time someone overcomes a major obstacle like that, like they miraculously are healed of stage four cancer, terminal cancer, it's because they changed something significant in their life. They did a, made a significant, you know, like a 180 on how they were living, thinking, doing, being, and then they were able to go on. And so I think this is, there, there's, there's a paradigm shift in conscious awareness that's a ha happening on the planet. And one of the few standing constructs still is the money system and that it will come. And, and there's openness. I, I can feel it. There's openness. Even uh, some of the banks, like, uh, you know, I watch this Capital One Cafe uh, conversations and it actually talks about you and how you feel. It's more than just about the financial statement. It's about you and what's going on inside of you with your own self-worth. And I'm very encouraged that they're actually hosting such conversations. Um, I mean, seriously, I, I feel like it's long overdue. If we're ever going to eliminate or forever um, move forward on, on the planet with regards to, I would say, like the poverty of the soul, you know, mm -hmm. that impoverished state of being. It's more than money. So, okay, talk to me about uh, why did you start the Money Consciousness Podcast? To get your message out or was it more to it than just that too? Okay, so I have the Be Conscious Podcast. Our Be Conscious Podcast. Apologies. Yeah. Uh, but I do, my speaking platform, a lot of the work I do is around money consciousness, to your point. But the Be Conscious podcast, it's really to bring about many conscious topics about all of life, including our money. Uh, my speaking, when I did the Money Conscious, you know, I created the Money Consciousness show was I realized that many people like me um, were born into impoverished circumstances and didn't know how to get out of it. Even Like I said, it didn't matter how much money I earned or the degrees I attained, I still had poverty of the soul. I didn't know how to undo that or be different. I, I've, I've never heard anything about it. And so I began my journey into breaking down this construct, what I call the money construct, and what, what um, I would say entanglement we have with our own self-worth and our financial net worth. And to, to, it's really, I, I feel like digging up the roots and going into the ancestral planes of existence to unfurl this tie between our material resources and our, how we feel inside about ourselves, what we feel worthy of. If mm. we take a small example, just think about Craig, um, your choices at the grocery store. When I was a kid, we always got the cheapest. It wasn't what was most nutritious or what we wanted necessarily it was like, what's, what's the cheapest. And, and I went unconsciously about living that way. Even when I had the money, I buy the cheapest shit. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to get the, the healthiest or the best quality. And it, 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 it was like, um, my, my first aha was I would always get, um, the water, like the orange juice that was 90% water, like from concentrate. 
I never felt good enough to have squeezed oranges. Now that sounds preposterous, but I would never buy just orange juice. No water, no food coloring, no sugar, just oranges. And so when I started doing that, I would never buy the other stuff again. It tasted so much better, so much better for me. And, it, and it's, it's a reflection of how I value myself. And so anytime that I'm, whether it's clothing, food, furnishing, whatever, my home, my, all of it, is a ref, I realize it's a reflection of how I feel about myself, how worthy I feel within myself. Mm. And you may not be able to have everything all the time, but if you take these little steps in buying real butter and not margarine or the real orange juice and or real syrup and not the caramel colored high fructose corn syrup, like if you start small, you realize you've always had enough. It was just you made a different choice for yourself. You didn't believe yourself worthy enough in some way to have the best. And so I think when we start taking steps like that, our choice, we begin to change. We, every choice, every shift in our awareness and our perceptions, they are cumulative. And then you begin living an entirely different life. You begin being an entirely different person. And it can start very small with a small choice at the grocery store. Mm. I, yeah, orange, the orange juice is really good. Uh, okay, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we talking about the frozen, the frozen concentrate? Or are we talking? <laughs> I, because the frozen concentrate, it depends what you use it for. It could be good too. But if we talking about just literally that, yeah, I got, I got, I got to get the. Uh, I, can't, I can't even get Sunny D either. I'm, I want to be honest about. Can't even get Sunny. D. <laughs> but I, <laughs> it's a, it's a question of worth. Like if I have a concentrate beside the real deal and I look at the price and one's twice the price of the other, what do I choose? Right. Absolutely. And my default was to choose the cheapest. That's how, that's the narrative I was fed as a young person who was born into an impoverished situation. One of five kids, there was never seemed to be enough money. And so it was always a calculation at the grocery store on what I could get. And it wasn't based on desire. It wasn't based on nutrition. It wasn't based on quality. It was based on price. And in my case, the cheapest price. Now, on the other hand, you have people that will go into the same store and will choose the most expensive thing. And you're like, why did they choose that? Because they believe themselves worthy of it. There's no question if they can afford it. They're worth it. And so I do the same thing now, but it took me most of my, I wasn't born into that mentality or that belief. I, I had to, I would say, earn it. I right. had to do the work of introspection to like un- learn all of that stuff that told me that I, that I was never going to have that stuff. That it was, that, that was somebody else for somebody else. They were better somehow than me. And I, and I struggled with that so intently because I couldn't see how someone was better than me, smarter than me, this or that of me. I always felt that I should have everything that I desired that I was a good person, that I was worthy of it, but society, my community, my family told me otherwise. And so I had to break through all of that and to elevate my own innate self-worth. So now I feel worthy of every everything I choose. I'm like, if, if something, and I, there are still things I think are too, like they're not for me. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't need it or I want it or I'm not there yet, but there's, there are many, many things that I'm, I'm worthy of. <laughs> I'm interested to know, like what? Um, 
Uh, I mean, as far as not there yet or that I'm worthy of? Both. Okay. Um, well, I'm definitely there like, uh, with, I, I, I would do, I would say the basics, like um, food, shelter, clothing. I, I, I will not live in a shitty place and, and where I just won't. I mean, to me, it's like, it's got to be a certain, I love, uh, you know, things that feel good and that are well-made and quality. I've never had that problem. Now, whether or not I could afford it or not was a different question in the past, but now I realized I can always afford it. I may not be able to have everything, all of it at one, at one moment, but anything that I want, I can have. And so I'll give you an example. I think I, I may have, uh, I, I, at least I talk about this in my money consciousness club. My usual behavior um, when I was testing out my own self-worth, when I became aware of what my behavior, my, this is what I would do. I would go to a shop and I would see something that I loved. It was beautiful. I would touch it and feel it. And I was like, oh, I, I, I want that. You know, like that speaks to me. But, what I, but in my old programming would tell me, oh, it was too expensive. Even if I had the money that I shouldn't spend it on that or what if in the future, I, I wish that I didn't buy that today or something like that. And so I would go through that whole like rigmarole and I would walk away from it. Sometimes I would circle around, like whatever was hanging, I'd be like going around it. If somebody came nearby, I'd be like, they can't have it. You know, I was like trying to protect it, you know, whatever I felt was mine, <laughs> like hide it, you know, I'm going to come back and get that. And I would, I would engage in that kind of behavior on the regular. And then I got conscious. And, and, I, and I, when I had that love feeling and I knew it was mine, I would claim it. I would just claim it. No questions. Maybe that day I didn't have what I needed for it or the money wasn't in the bank. Maybe, but I never doubted my worth that mm. I was worthy of it. It wasn't that I, I, I can't afford it. It's just not today, not, not never. But it wasn't a question of my value, my self-value. And so I do it all the time now. Um, I, I, I always like, let's just say I want to get something from Amazon. And I'm like, oh, I don't have the money today. I still put all that in my cart because I know I'm going to have it. <laughs> I'm like, it's not a question. It's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. Right. And I've never had to empty out my Amazon cart because the it never materialized. But no, it might just be the next day or the next week, but I, I got it. I got it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but that's that's how I operate now. Yeah, man, the Amazon man mad at you with your, with your stuff. <laughs> I just put <laughs> Okay, so tell me tell me what, what is next for you? What is what is for you going for in your in, in your career endeavors, the way that you're pursuing career is your career this way. Sure. So all that I do now is in the area of consciousness. All of it. Everything I do, I, I align whatever I'm doing with my soul. And so I, I'm a speaker, and I continue to speak uh, nationally, internationally on the stage, really about empowerment, about motivation. And yeah, often about money because it comes into the equation 99% of the time. I am a podcaster, so I continue to uh, invite guests and uh, create podcasts to create awareness around many topics in life, including money. I still host the Be Conscious show, and I invite anyone that's on Clubhouse that has any thoughts, questions, interests in money consciousness to join us. I have a host, uh, she's in Los Angeles, and so we, we host a show on a weekly basis, Wednesdays, 6.30 a.m. Pacific, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. And I do a healing around that. I'm an energy healer. I, in, in the process of my awakening, one of my superpowers, as I call it, was the capacity to move energy, to transform energies. 
um, you probably heard of chi. Uh, I, I, I felt I have that. I didn't know what it was at first, but then I got my energy attunements and now I'm a healer. I, I heal in this way instead of cutting people open like I did as a surgeon. And so I continue to do my healing work and I do it in the, a lot of it in the area of money because many of us have trauma in the area of money, uh, including myself, you know, that's how I came through this. I continue to write. Uh, I have my fourth book coming out uh, for children about overcoming this feeling, this energy of generational poverty within themselves. Okay, children so who believe themselves poor. By children too, right? For children. Two already? Yes. That's correct. And I have a third title coming out um, of on the money poverty gotcha. uh, for children. And, you know, I'm creating a conscious media company. And so I'm writing a screenplay on my first book and I'm creating an animated children's series based on my children's books as a part of my conscious media company. So it's about broadcasting. It's about writing and publishing. It's about digital, creating digital media. So I'm a content creator in the area of consciousness. And so that ultimately is what I'm, I'm doing in all of my work is creating a conscious media company. That's, that's a huge part here, right? Because you started off in, and now I guess this is part where it, it, it ties back into people who are trying to find out how to be on entrepreneurship and things of that nature. Outside of just talking about, you know, how to handle money, how to feel about money, how your energy should be connected with money. And being self-aware about your inner self-aware and being all those things. But this is the other part of it, too, is that you started focusing on one area and then over time you've expanded into other areas that has now gave you this 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 network of your own that you built. You know, pretty much over all this time frame where you are now able to actually make it a media uh, mm -hmm. your life now, which is yes. awesome. I think a lot of people, including myself, sometimes we get. We, we like, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do that. But you got to kind of focus a bit here and you know, lock in on the things that you can control and then you know, start slowly in other areas as you still focus on the beginning and then you can navigate new areas because I have you, like, I'm, I'm starting to meet way more people who are writing books and I'm just sitting here like, I haven't even thought about writing a book yet. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not even getting nowhere, nowhere near that just yet. <laughs> So people like I'm, I'm building this i'm building that and i'm just like i'm staying right here <laughs> for right now and that's what a lot of people don't they don't think about it. they have to stay in a certain lane first and then you know divest your other time and energy somewhere else when you get the opportunity to well let me just be um very transparent uh for the first um i guess for for in this entirety of this journey of creating this conscious media company of writing of speaking of podcasting energy healing all that i uh also had consulting i work as a healthcare consultant to support that business to help to support me growing this platform and so i don't think it's um unreasonable uh for people to think that it, this doesn't all come at once and or in one day uh it comes over time and as one thing falls away another thing um takes space it can also happen with our partners you know you might have a significant other or family or some sort of um, support that helps you as you grow your business it doesn't happen in one day i i started uh, my conscious work in 2016 when i was fired from my equity job i was uh, uh, um, laid off and I was given a severance package. And during that process, I, I, I said, okay, I, I'm going to begin. And what the beginning looking like for me was I began writing. Mm. Um, but now, you know, when I say, oh, I'm on my fourth book and this, this is over the span of several years. Absolutely. <clears throat> and so I, I think it's being patient with yourself. Sometimes we feel like, things aren't moving fast enough or we're not where we should be or we, we we suffer from compare-itis. We compare ourselves to other people and then feel that we are small or not doing something right or something. I think the idea is to be present with yourself and to give yourself grace, be patient and love yourself. And you will, that inner spirit of you will guide you. You know, when you, if and when you want to write that book, trust me, it'll come. Oh yeah, I know. It'll be inspired, but it's not because somebody else is on their sixth book and I haven't even started. 
Absolutely. You know, it's not the same. And I, and I, and I do that too. There are people that I feel like are way ahead of me. And I'm like, what, you know, I start that old dialogue that something must be wrong with me or I'm doing something wrong or I'm not where I should be. And that is what keeps us in these cycles of, you know, I would, I would say of, of the past of, of all of our drama. Um, if we can just let go of that, and I know it's not easy, you take it moment by moment, truly, to let go of that comparison of other people and just be clear with ourselves, be in tune with ourselves, develop a relationship with ourselves. Then we, we know that we're good. You know, we know our path. But I think we spend all of our time looking outside of ourselves, relationships with our network, relationships with business partners, with friends, with lovers, with children, and we never ever look inside and check the relationship we have with ourselves. And I know that I've got that inner critic going on lots, you know, she's tamed, she's getting tamed, but I still have it. I still have that going on with me where I will not feel, um, you know, like I'm where I should be. And somebody is doing something that I, I wish I could only dream of doing and I don't have it yet. And then I start feeling bad on myself, very judgmental. Um, I, I've been of myself. And so I, I think when we begin to have awareness of that, then we can course correct, we can shift it. But as long as I'm unaware that I'm harming myself, that I'm judging myself, you know, that this is all about me, then I keep doing it. I do it unconsciously. I'm just in a cycle. It's almost like a, like a, a, a program that I'm running in the background and I have no idea I'm in the program. And so it's, it's, it's just, uh, I think awareness brings you out of that. Uh, there was a movie that I'll reference um, where the free guy, yeah, free guy, and he's a, a character in a video game. And at some point, he's, he's doing the same thing like we are every day, in, same thing in and out every day, really just thinking that this is how life is. Don't get why, you know, it's like this, but it is this way. And then he says, wait a second, I can change this. And he tries to change his program. And so I think that we as human beings can do the same thing, essentially, is that once we realize that that old racket is running, that old record is skipping over and over, we're in a program and we, are, we, come, we have awareness of it, we can see it now, we can see the patterns, then we have the power within us to shift it to change it it's mm. not what we want so that's kind of kind of the basic uh, nuts and bolts of i think waking up consciously yeah that that's that's powerful that's powerful and it actually is something that you like you say you have to when you're actually dealing with it yourself each and every day um to push through and not to like you know fall into the trap of the critic of yourself your inner critic that's that's hard enough and you're right like we we have to not actually compare ourselves to others and that is some of the things that um people actually do and honestly uh for myself you know actually starting this podcast and getting started on like doing my journey with uh finance and things of that nature it has been more appeasing on myself and understanding myself a whole lot more than i did before right and but then it's the creative part of yourself that comes uh to the forefront i think in in this manner too because that inner self is actually somewhat of a creative part to me, I believe. And that um, even better for yourself that makes you happy at some point in time. So it is like a deep connection to it. And it's beyond like the money part, like you said before. So uh, how can how can everyone find you? They can find me at SusanNicholas.org. And you can find me at the Be Conscious podcast on Clubhouse if you or your uh, audience would like to join the Money Consciousness Club. Uh, we're at Money Consciousness and we air a show every Wednesday at 6.30 a.m. Pacific, 9.30 a.m. Eastern, and it's recorded. So you, you're not there in that time, it's just for one hour. I do a healing in that for that every week. You can listen to the replay. Um, you can also uh, you know, find my books on Amazon. Uh, again, SusanNicholas.org. I'm on uh, Instagram at ConsciousSusan. I'm on LinkedIn at Susan Nicholas MD. 
and on Twitter at Susan Nicholas MD. We are going to link to all those down in the description. So feel free to check out one of them. I encourage you to check out with Dr. Susan Nicholas, who's actually a top motivator speaker of 2022, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Drop no knowledge on you today. So we are appreciative of having you on the channel today. I really pretty much love having you on here. And you're always going to be welcome back, especially when you want to come back and talk to us about your fourth book that you already got getting ready to release. We'll welcome you back for that too, if you would like. Um, definitely, I appreciate it once again. And we're going to sign off from the Craig Houston Podcast. Doc, can you stand by for me? Yes, thank you.